Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. fatigue this year man <laughs> can we just take a second this year I mean it's been one craziness after another and they can often feel like battles one battle after another and to me it's sometimes felt like that feeling of being stuck under a wave have you ever been jumping waves in the summer at the beach and they just come one after another after another we have this Crazy, scary experience at the beach this past summer. Or my son was out in the water and he's a pretty good swimmer, but he's still pretty young as well. And so I wasn't far away from him. Uh, and he was with some other kids and I had said, you know, you guys are getting kind of far out. Come back closer to me now. And the older kids did. They were able to, to get out of it, but it was a strong undercurrent that day. And my poor little guy, he just couldn't get in. And so you could see the panic, you know, start to rise in his face. He just kept getting sucked out with each wave. He was having a harder and harder time. And so me realizing this and his panic, I started lunging toward him. But, you know, it it takes a minute in the waves. And so I, I was doing my best to get to him. I would have reached him maybe another 10, 15 seconds. And here comes this random guy, just a stranger, and just snapped him up. I just picked him by his arm right up out of the water. And, you know, by that time I had gotten there and he handed him to me and I, I was so grateful. I just so thank you so much to this pure stranger in the middle of the ocean. And he's gasping for air and he's he's scared. But if you've ever been to the beach before, you you know that feeling probably. That feeling of being stuck under the waves. And, and there you are just basking in the sun, you know, jumping in the waves. There's a lifeguard and there's happy families all around you. You're kind of lured into this sense of safety. It all feels pretty safe. Summer bliss, fun. But then with no warning, the waves just take you under. One wave hits you hard, you know, and you think, no problem, I'll I'll recover. I'll get back up. But then another one hits you. And you think, surely a, a break is coming. I'm gasping for air, uh, but a break is coming. I'll catch my breath. I'll get my footing and it'll be all right. And then another wave hits you and another wave hits you and an, another after that. And there's no rhythm to it. There's no pattern. Soon you're beneath the waves, not above them anymore. You don't know which side is up, which side is down, which side is further out, which side is, is closer to safety. It's scary battling the waves. And it's like that. You never know which decision is going to help and which is going to hurt. And 2020 has felt that way for me sometimes throughout this year. I don't know about you, but I've heard from so many of you that, that feel that way, that like the waves just, they're on top of you. <laughs> You're not sure how to get out. I don't, I don't know which way is up anymore. I'm gasping for air. I'm not drowning yet, but... Also, you know, wondering whether that moment might come (laughs) soon, right? When you do finally get back to the beach, adjust your bathing suit. If you're a woman, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, You get this deep breath, this moment of, wow, (laughs) 
right? And there's this moment of realization. I, I saw crew, my son, have it for the first time this year after that crazy, scary moment in the waves. He sat on the beach and he was a little teary and yeah, this moment. And I remember this moment as a kid where I'm suddenly questioning the sanity of every person out there, including myself for being out there. Like, what are we all thinking? Right? The ocean is, is a really scary place to be and it does not care about you. The ocean could not care less about you and your safety. And you're just like, what were we all doing? It can be scary. And honestly, there's a good chance you'll come out of that ocean traumatized a little bit. (laughs) Pretty good chance. Maybe even never go back in. Yeah, I know some people that hate the ocean for this reason. They've had a scary experience in the past and they're just, they're not going back in. How could you? It's terrifying out there. And there's also been these these rare moments, if you like jumping in the waves, or you know you can also have these moments where you feel more in control of it, right? Like, like the waves come, you can see a big one coming, and you go under instead of let it hit you. More in control of the chaos. It's still chaos up there, the waves are rolling, but you're underneath it, and it all feels more muted, more safe there. You can't stay under the waves forever either. You have to come up for air at some point. Back into the light and put your feet squarely back under you and stand up tall. I found that out this year. Um, but I also found out that battling the waves is a great workout. And there's some good things to it. I come out of those waves different. There's a lot of benefits to it, actually. It's refreshing. On a hot day, right, it's fun, you get a tan, the the best naps are taken after a day jumping the waves. A lot of benefits, but there's also a good chance you'll come out traumatized. That's battle fatigue to me. Life can come at you hard and fast. Will your faith withstand the waves? Will your faith keep your head above water? Will you choose to get back in again after a tough experience? I was sitting on that beach with my teary son this summer, watching him have this moment of realization of pain and of fear. I got to see all over again firsthand what building wisdom looks like. The wisdom of experience, right? Because obviously I had coached him about the dangers of the ocean a bunch of times up to that point, right? I went through all the safety. I went through what the lifeguard does. I went through just how intense it can be, obviously. And then I sent him out into the waves, but he knew that information, but he didn't know that information. Like He knew it, head knowledge up here, but he didn't internalize. He didn't know it in his gut, after this experience, he now knows, right? He understands. It's experiential knowledge. He's experienced it. His gut knows it now. And thinking about all this, watching that wisdom being built, the respect for the ocean, not a fear of it. And that's what we, we had to sit on that beach and talk about. We don't have to be scared to the point of never going back in, but we do need to respect the ocean. Careful. 
use wisdom when dealing with it. And I started thinking about all this, and in the middle of this battle fatigue series, you know, what does it really mean to be faithful, to be faith-filled? If I choose to stay on that beach for the rest of my life, does that mean I'm faithless? Of course, I'm talking a metaphor now. No judgment against those who don't like the ocean, <laughs> okay? It's not about real water and, and waves anymore. What I'm trying to say here is that sometimes faith is blind. Sometimes it is. But there is also a hard-won faith. It's a different kind of faith. A faith you just in your gut because you've experienced it. That's the unshakable kind. Unshakable faith. It's a faith that has seen a thing or two. There's a faith that says flippantly, I know I'll be okay. And just go after it. But there's a faith that knows the danger and still says, I'll be okay. There's just having faith. And then there's being faithful. It might sound like semantics, but to me, there's a huge difference. I want to suggest to you today, and again, this might sound really simple, but once you can get a hold of it, it will change everything. Faithfulness, faithfulness is the bridge between those two levels of faith, just having faith and being faithful. Faithfulness is the bridge between having faith and being faithful. Listen to this difference. I know there are people out there that believe that tithing is good. Right? It's a good thing to do. The Bible teaches it. Yeah, we should do it. It's a good thing. But then there are people out there that believe in tithing. You know the difference. Especially if you are one of those that believe in tithing. You know the difference. Right? There are those of us that believe you should pray. Yeah, you know, prayer is good. You should do it. Bible says too. It's a good thing. But then there are those of us that believe in the power of prayer. (laughs) See the difference, right? The difference is faithfulness. Faithfulness was at some point in the journey, the difference at some point in their lives, when the waves were at their highest, they made a choice, choice to be obedient. Even when it didn't make natural sense to be obedient, a choice to be self-sacrificingly faithful. They stuck to it, even when everyone else was saying to let it go. It's that stick-to-itiveness, stick-to-itiveness <laughs> that made the difference, that faithfulness that made the difference. And nothing fancy, right? Treading water isn't fancy, but if you do it long enough, it'll keep you alive. This isn't about... The fanciest gifts, the, the onstage gifts, the, the preaching, the, the prophesying, the delivering words in tongues. It's, faithfulness is actually very simple. The going gets, gets tough. You just stick to it. Refuse to give in, to run away, to go to easier roads. I'm becoming more and more convinced that faithfulness is actually one of the most overlooked and undervalued gifts. So, so important. And there is one very small book of the Bible where this could not be more clear. The book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is just four small chapters, and it's basically one life story 
of one of the ancestors of the Messiah. Uh, Her life could have gone a completely different way. But she was faithful. Her life took some harsh, unexpected, painful turns. Uh, No land she had. She was in a, a... situation where she had no land. She she had no husband. She was battle fatigued. Wave after wave kept coming at her, but she was faithful. See, when Ruth's husband died and her brother-in-law and her father-in-law, it was just three women left. And in that culture and context, there was unfortunately no way out of that situation. I mean, that was essentially a recipe for lifelong poverty desolation, shame. No land, no source of income, no way to pass on a family name, no one to take care of you as you age. No hope in that situation. And so Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, she says, look, go home. Back to your mothers and fathers, your families. They'll they'll provide for you. They'll take care of you. They'll find you new husbands. They'll, they'll give you good lives. I'm going to go back to my home. It's been years and it's far away, but I'm going to go back. There's not much hope for me either way. So no reason to bring you down with me. Go home. And one of them does. But Ruth replies, and we're actually going to read this in Ruth 1, verse 16. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. This is the verse that's commonly quoted in the book of Ruth, and it's really the verse that defines who she is. It's it's our first indication of her character. It's where she is first noticed for her faithfulness. And here, her faithfulness manifests itself as loyalty. She's loyal to her mother-in-law, almost to a fault self-sacrificingly loyal. And so they go back together, back to Naomi's hometown where they still had nothing, but at least they knew people, (laughs) right? And Ruth goes off one day to gather grain that had been left behind by workers in the fields. It was really all they had, no land to call their own. They were left with the scraps. And so she goes out to the field. It just so happened to be the family redeemer's field. A very, very kind and decent man named Boaz. A man who culturally, because of his role as the family redeemer, was obligated to help Naomi and Ruth. You begin to see the whispers of grace here. Divine grace. So this is where we get the idea of fate, I think. Right? The the way that things just sort of seem to work out for people. Have you ever noticed there are some people like that? Luck just seems to come to them. Like it just all seems to work out for them. I don't know. I don't think it's luck. Especially after looking at this story a little bit deeper. I don't think it's luck anymore. I think there is a God-given beauty hardwired into this world, into this universe that is drawn to the faithful. There is opportunity given to those who sacrifice. It's the way our creator has ordered this 
world. Ruth didn't end up in any field that day. She ended up in Boaz's field. She could have gone to any other one in the surrounding nations. She went to Boaz's field, the family redeemer's field. Any other time I would have just read over this, but for some reason this detail jumped out at me this time. Things just didn't fall into place for Ruth magically or according to some fate. God ordered them that way because she was faithful. I know this sounds a little crazy because we tend to just call it luck or, or God's blessing maybe, but I think it's deeper than both of those. Just listen to this. One of the Ten Commandments, right? Honor your father and mother, and things will go well for you. The first commandment with a promise. Honor your father and mother. Sounds a whole lot like faithfulness. And things will go well for you. Sounds a whole lot like luck. Right? Proverbs 21, 21 says, Whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor. I think loyalty faithfulness put her in that field on that day. And it wasn't the end of the story, but it was an opportunity where you show your, if you can show God that you're faithful with a little, right? He will give you the opportunity to show that you're faithful with more. I think faithfulness looks a whole lot like luck on the back end. And I've seen this over and over. My husband, for example, Aaron buys and sells stuff a lot. He has a lot of hobbies, and then there's a lot of gear that goes along with those hobbies, and so he buys and sells stuff a lot. People always say, only you, Aaron, don't they? Only you could get a a deal like that. They don't see all the background work that my husband does to go into those things. It's not, he doesn't just happen upon them, I mean, maybe sometimes, but he does all the work behind the scenes to go into that. If you did all of that work, you'd probably be lucky too. Right? He would find those deals too. He researches and he searches and he hunts and he watches YouTube videos for the best practices and best products and best deals. And on the outside, it looks a whole lot like luck, but I see the inside and I see faithfulness, diligence, dedication. He works hard for those things. And that's The thing about Ruth, for the second time in this story, she's noticed for her faithfulness. Instead of loyalty this time, it manifests itself as diligence. She's found working. Boaz finds her in that field working, working hard. Ruth 2, 11 to 12, he says nice things about her. He finds her in the field working, and he says, I also know about everything you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and mother and your own land to live here among us complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you for what you have done. He saw Ruth working hard, (laughs) heard about her faithful and kind actions toward Naomi. And and he decided to reward her for her work, to provide for her while she worked. He not only decided to care for her, but he made it his business to care for her. And he provides protection 
first for her, then, then water and shade while she works, and then meals, and then more provision. He sends her home with more and says, come work with my, my workers all summer, all spring, all summer. And it wasn't just one day out in the field, or two days, or a week, or two. She worked all spring and all summer, day in, day out, faithfully, consistently showing up, working hard. No end in mind other than to just get her and her mother-in-law by, provide for them. And you don't, you don't hear the next details of Ruth's story preached too often, and I some, sometimes wonder if that's just because we don't really know what to do with it. <laughs> but the highlights are easy to preach. Right? Ruth was extremely faithful to her mother-in-law, beyond the normal, self-sacrificingly faithful. She worked incredibly hard in that field, and in the end, she got the prince. Right? It's a fairy tale. She got the, the good guy, she got the son, she got the happily ever after. She even got to be the great-grandmother of King David and thereby an ancestor of the Messiah himself. And she got the happily ever after. But her story is a little messy because there is some cultural context that has been lost in history. Some scholars even believe that after her time in the field, Naomi told Ruth to go seduce Boaz. Saying, right? Boaz may or may not have even slept with her that night. The Bible isn't... 100% clear, and that's maybe that's why he was so compelled to help her in the future. Uh, I struggled with this a little bit, because I, I want to know. Like, either way, just tell me, Bible. <laughs> why can't you just reveal your secrets? Tell me all of the things. Why can't the scholars have come to some agreement, conclusion on it? The problem is, we just may never know. You know. And I like things nice and neat. I like things to be in their place. I like to be able to draw nice, neat conclusions in the end. But it's just not life. And honestly, I've come to this place in my life, and maybe 2020 has taught me this. Hopefully, you too, a little bit more. But there is a beauty in the messiness of life. Or at least we can rediscover the capacity of the human heart to find the beauty in the messiness. I think faithfulness here, no matter how you interpret it, no matter what you think happened that night on the threshing floor between Ruth and Boaz, I think faithfulness manifested itself here as wisdom. She was loyal. She was diligent. And she was wise. She was obedient to Naomi, who's a little older and wiser than she was. Right? They were together using wisdom, and opportunity presented itself to not only work harder, but work smarter. I recently heard of a book called You Don't Understand the Bible Because You Are Christian. And as frustrating as that is, because I feel like because I'm a Christian, I should understand the Bible more. I think I agree. Sometimes I have to take my sort of Christian blinders off, Christian glasses off, the way that I filter the world through my Christianity. I sometimes have to take those off to read the Word. I have to remember that they didn't see things through a Christian context in the Old Testament. They couldn't have. Jesus didn't come yet. 
I I have to see their world through their eyes, not my own. I have to remember that God was God when there were two people on this planet, and he's God now when there are billions. Of course, he would have had the wisdom, the forethought, the perfection to plan for both scenarios. I have to remember that when Noah was building the ark, it hadn't rained yet. Ever. Like, at all. Rain wasn't a thing when Noah was building an ark for a flood. I can't see those through 2020 eyes. I have to see them through his eyes. I have to remember that when Abraham was marching his kid up a mountain to be sacrificed, they didn't have a religious context for sacrifice. Not like we do today. Not like they did years later in the tabernacle and in the temple. I have to remember that when Jesus walked this earth, he hung out with sinners and tax collectors. And Jesus' first public miracle was providing wine at a wedding where everyone was already drunk. Take off my Christian glasses to read that, to understand that. The Bible is not this judgmental, harsh, condescending book everyone paints it to be. It's just not. It is this beautiful, messy story of the thread of grace woven throughout the centuries, contexts, and cultures by the creator God himself. It is a love story. Creator and creation. Why do you think we love a good fairy tale? A good hero story? A happily ever after? It's the gospel story over and over and over again in so many different ways, and it is beautiful. But it's beautiful. I heard this quote lately by Soren Kierkegaard that says, Life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. I find myself in battle fatigue pretty often this year. And I'm, I'm learning that that's very much a part of my personality. Right? 2020 has not been kind to us peacemakers. <laughs> I get edgy just thinking about all the ways the world wants to yell at each other right now. And all I want to do is ask God, why? God, make sense of it. I want it to make sense. I want to flash forward and obviously see success in the future. And and I want it to just all click and, and make sense. And I'll be able to move forward to that. But it won't. It won't make sense. Here and now, God can and will give me a glimpse, a little glimpse sometimes of what's coming, of the future, of what will be someday, but they are few and far between and much less often. For me, I have to submit to not knowing and submit myself to the all-knowing. When I do that, is produced. comes oozing out of me. Loyalty, diligence, wisdom. I will understand all of this one day, but today is not that day. The same philosopher, Kierkegaard, also said, science 
and scholarship want to teach that becoming objective is the way. Christianity teaches that the way is to become subjective, to become a subject. Ruth's story is all about faithfulness, self-sacrificing faithfulness. It's, It's about how when you look out for others, God looks out for you. It's about how sometimes life will beat us up, but it doesn't mean we take it out on the people around us. It doesn't mean we withdraw, we run away. In fact, when life gives us lemons, we dig in harder. Right? We commit more. We give more. We get through the battle fatigue to find community, family, and hope again on the other side. I think faithfulness might be the most undervalued fruit of the Spirit. We all want the love, the joy, peace, and the patience. And we all know we should want kindness and gentleness and self-control, but faithfulness? It just doesn't have that traction. And I think we tend to undervalue people who are really good at it, too. Those people who aren't particularly loud or flashy about their gifts, but they just keep showing up. Day in and day out. They're there to help you every time you need them. They don't give up easily. When you give them a project, they finish it, no matter how hard it was along the way. They say they're going to show up, and they do. And on time, (laughs) faithfulness. Other than in a, a monogamous relationship setting, we don't often value faithfulness that much. But sometimes faithfulness is all you're left with in battle. All that's left. Your strength has left you. Patience is long gone. Right? The people who are fighting beside you aren't there anymore. You haven't rested in days, weeks, maybe. You can't remember the last time you really felt full or ate anything substantial. But you're still there. You're still putting one foot in front of the other. You've been beaten and bruised and you're not moving very fast, but you're moving. Faithfulness. I was apologizing to God lately. In my prayer, I was God, I'm sorry. I feel like I haven't been the person that I know that I can be lately. I feel like I've let you down. And it felt like God said to me, you haven't let me down because you're here. He didn't mean physically I was laying in bed at the time. He didn't mean here in bed. He meant here in your spirit. You're here. You looked toward me. You set your spirit on me tonight, even if it was to apologize and cry a little. You're here, having this conversation right now. And yeah, maybe it was on my pillow, and yeah, maybe it was the only prayer that I prayed that day, but I was there. And I hadn't forgotten him, and I hadn't strayed. I was just tired bruised and 
broken, moving slower than usual, but still putting one foot in front of the other. Choosing to thank God, even though I didn't feel very grateful in that moment. Choosing to see the beauty, to find the beauty in the mess. My family did a 12-day self-quarantine lately. I didn't leave my house or my property in 12 days. (laughs) And the first drive I took after that, it's funny how the world looks a little different after your life is so changed for a good chunk of time. I remember this feeling after leaving the long hospital stays of last year, too. Everything feels different. The sun on your face. The way the the wind blows across the grass in the field. You notice different things, too. The calf in the field lying with her mama. These are the things that jump out to me about that first drive. Life is messy. Messy and beautiful. And if I hang in there long enough through the battle fatigue, through the pain and the confusions and the mistake and the anger, if I can just keep putting one foot in front of the other, there's no limit to what God can do. No limit. Give even after you feel like you have nothing left to give. Serve even when people don't deserve it. Even after all your reasons for smiling went out the window. Love, even when it costs you something. God will make sense of the pain. But he does. He's ordered his universe to reflect that. He will bring beauty from the ashes, life from death, hope from desolation, good from bad. He doesn't promise to shelter us through every pain and sorrow. But he will be with us in the storms, and he will bring good from bad if we can just remain faithful. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. We love the first part of that. We love to claim the first part of that. God will bring good from this. God will work it all together for my good. But you're remembering the second part too, right? For those that love God, faithfully stick by his side. Love is self-sacrificing sometimes. Love is patient. Love considers the needs of others before itself. Love isn't easy. Love requires faithfulness. If you hold up your end, then God remains faithful too. He will work everything out for the good of those who love him. Look, I know this season has been heavy. This series has been heavy. And you probably didn't need heavy right now, but let it be an encouragement to you. Maybe a little bit of the the tough love that you needed to get off the couch and back in to the game. To get out of the dumps and start loving people, loving God again. It doesn't take just being in this building. 
can do it everywhere you are. Throughout this series, I have so come to value faithfulness. The ones that keep showing up, keep supporting, even when I don't deserve it. Let's see the church as a calling you can't put down, not as a social club you can just opt out of. We see this even in physics, and I'm no physicist, believe me, but Newton's first law of motion, what is it? An object in motion tends to stay in motion. An object at rest stays at rest. I see people constantly, they want to be discovered, not developed. We don't have the stick to to just stay with something long enough for God to develop us into someone. We just want the get-rich-quick scheme. But we, we fantasize about winning the lottery, just falling into our hands. Oh my goodness, I deserved it. If you actually study people that win the lottery, though, it's not actually that much of a blessing because we don't know what to do with it. We haven't developed the habits that it takes to manage and maintain wealth. So we ruin ourselves. God wants to develop you, not just discover you. He wants to see a little faithfulness from you. If, if you just put one step, one foot in front of the other, right? it's not actually that hard. These are not flashy big stage gifts. They're not scary. It's just one foot in front of the other. Today, decide to do something. Move toward God in some way. Open your Bible. Read a verse. Tomorrow, read another verse. The day after that, read another verse. You'll find yourself in motion suddenly. If you stay at rest, you're probably going to stay at rest. God rewards those who are faithful. Ruth found Boaz. She found the happily ever after, but she didn't do that in a day. Her faithfulness manifested itself as loyalty, even when it didn't benefit her at all. Diligence, even when sitting at home, would have been way easier. She worked hard and wisdom. Wisdom, even when it was a big risk. Loyalty, diligence, and wisdom. Faithfulness can manifest itself in a number of different ways, but it basically just means putting one foot in front of the other, choosing to step out, to act in love, to continue consistently working hard at something. That's what God is looking for us in this season. We might feel battle fatigued and, and beat up and bruised and frankly just tired. Just keep moving. One foot in front of the other. Have an honest conversation with God today. Express your thoughts and feelings to Him. Allow Him to speak back. Do it again tomorrow. And the day after that. And the day after that. Watch Him work. Watch him move you out of battle fatigue, back into the fight. Your heart is actually in it. Where you can find joy in it again. Peace. Love. 
God can do that for you. And that's my prayer for us today. Father, thank you for the battles. I can honestly say I've gotten myself to a place where I can thank you for them now. They're not easy, painful, tiring. God, I know that you're developing me. That on the other side of this, you're going to bring beauty from the ashes. You're going to bring good from the pain. So God, I set my faith, my hope in you. I'm choosing today to be obedient and to look toward you. What you're going to do with that. You are so big, God. Such a good God. I trust you today. I trust you. Maybe today you're praying that prayer along with me for the first time. Willing to step out. Say, God, I trust you. I'm choosing today to trust you. That's you. We call it saying I'm in around here. You're in to following Jesus. You're in to this submission. You want what Jesus wants for you. Right? We can't always trust ourselves. Our own selfish, sinful nature often wants the thing that's the worst for us. We have to submit ourselves to what Jesus wants for us. He is a good father. Maybe today, though, you've done that before. But you're realizing just how faithless you may have been. It's never been easier to get out of sync with what the church is doing, to get out of sync with your own beliefs. You believe tithing is good, but you haven't been doing it. Or you believe prayer is good, but you haven't been doing it. It's never been easier to fall away from some of those things. When we're not meeting regularly and there's no rhythm to life and your schedules are all out of whack, it's it's pretty easy, actually. Lose that faithfulness, stick-to-itiveness. The good news today is all you have to do is repent. (laughs) God, I don't want to be that person anymore. I want to be faithful, faith-filled, I want to set my life and my actions according to what I believe. And I'm going to do that today. I'm going to change. I'm going to turn from those ways. And I'm going to put my faith and my hope firmly in you. The only thing I know of that will get you through battle fatigue. Turning to other things doesn't do it. Turning away from Jesus. Going down... Other avenues, it just it doesn't do it. You will stay tired. You will get more tired, in fact. Just be faithful. One foot in front of the other will get you through battle fatigue. Joy comes in the morning. God will bring good from sorrow. Bring good from the pain. He will restore what's been taken from you. Just trust him. Be faithful. That's my prayer for you today. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. 
If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I-N-N. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. Faith isn't a feeling. That's what I'm walking away with here today. That my faith can't be based on feelings. It's a predetermined thing that no matter the circumstances I'm put in, whether I'm like Ruth who lost everything or Naomi who who has nothing or I'm Boaz looking at a, a, a beautiful person that I can help. I need my faith as my guide. So in this season, would you grab hold of faith? Stay consistent. Stay in prayer. Take those next steps. If, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, head to the fv.church forward slash I am in. Let somebody know about it. Don't forget for the opportunity to give back to our community through Gettysburg Cares or Christmas Cares. Uh, continue to stay connected with us as a church. Don't forget on the FV um, Facebook page, the Freedom Valley Church Facebook page, we're going to have bite-sized Bible study uh, every night this week except Thanksgiving. So you can check that out at 8 p.m. Let's stay connected. Let's stay encouraged. Let's stay faithful, Freedom Valley. Until I see you again, I love you guys, and we'll be praying for you as a church. It's good to be here with you.